Appreciate it, Matt. It is just such a joy to have the Jarbos back in the house. It's just such a blessing to have them uh, in our midst, to remember times in the past, to um, remember what fellowship we had together, and to just enjoy that fellowship. We have such a great history. We go back a long time. Before Jay went to work with Missions Resource Network about 12 years ago, I think, Jay, um, he and Sherry served this congregation and SIBI for about 25 years. During that time, Jay served as a lead minister for the church. He was director of the AIM program, Adventures and Missions. Uh, he was dean of missions and an instructor for Sunset International Bible Institute. He was Sunset's missionary to Mex in Mexico City for six years. And during that time that he did all those things, Sherry was there, uh, not only to make sure you survived all of that, uh, but she was also um, serving here as a professional assistant to Trudy Dare, former president and now current chancellor of SIBI. So there's a lot of uh, ministry history that we share with them. Right now in his work at MRN, Jay is now serving as the empowering team, uh, empowered team lead and director for empowerment. He works to multiply healthy leaders to disciple the unreached and underserved people groups of the world. Jay has pursued and accomplished several educational and training goals over the years. He holds a BA from Texas Tech University, Master's in Missions, and a Master's of Divinity, equivalency from Abilene Christian University, a degree in ministry from SIBI in its School of Missions, a certificate now as Associate Certified Coach with the International Coach Federation. And, and the great thing, really, is about, uh, about all of this training and all of this education is I know that Jay has just simply viewed it and used it as a way to support and equip him in the greatest passion that I know he has, and that is to seek to be transformed personally into the image of Christ and to help others do the same. And this, uh, with that passion, he and Sherry, like I said, have served as missionaries in Mexico City. Jay has worked with churches and other missionaries and mission leaders on six continents, helping them to be better equipped as servant leaders on the mission field, promoting transformation and multiplication. Now, I know all of that's very important, but I know those of you who uh, know Jay and Sherry and the family well are like, well, when are we going to get to the family? Okay, well, now's family time. I want, want to let you know that, that Megan, their daughter, is now a, a medical doctor in Childress, Texas, where she and her husband, Kenny, who's a rancher, is raising their children. Let's see if we can bring up that first set of grandkids. Go, go back one. There you go. Adelaide James' husband and Cash Foy are uh, Jay's uh, grandchildren, Jay and Sherry's grandchildren through Megan and Kenny, and also uh, with Ryan, 
Ryan's married and he's living in Fort Worth and his wife is a nurse and he works for Asheron, I think, uh, Technologies Corporation as team lead for the Dallas and Fort Worth and Little Rock offices. Um, together they're raising their children, Oliver and Lucy, and uh, they don't, any of these kids look like their parents or their grandparents at all. But what a blessing to see that family continue to grow. Uh, so this morning, because we love you, Jay and Sherry, it's our pleasure to welcome you back to Sunset, and because we know few others who can speak on the kindness of Jesus as well as Jay. I'm going to welcome Jay up here, first of all, with a prayer, and then I pray that you will encourage him as we usually do to speak, speak the word. Father, thank you so much for Jay and Sherry. Thank you for how they've touched our lives, how they have borne fruit, how they planted seeds, and how those things have come to fruition over the years. Father, thank you for your grace that you poured out in their family and in their ministry. And this morning, I just pray that you use him in a powerful way to touch our lives for Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Jay, preach the word. Thank you. Thank you. It is so good uh, to be with you. I can't tell you how good it is to be with you. And I know I made some of you feel uncomfortable, perhaps, sitting up here, turning around as if I was looking for someone. And it wasn't that I was looking for someone that I missed. It was I was just looking at you, the Sunset Church. Because you mean so much to us. And it is so good to be back here and to be with you. And I, and I love your uh, kind of the subtitle for these three sermons with Dan coming next week and Ken coming the following week. I love the, the second part of it better than I like the first part of it. Voices from the past. Yeah, I'm one of those voices from the past. <laughs> but that speak to your future. Because we live in the future of God as he's carrying us forward. I have a heart full today with gratitude. Uh, looking at some of the elders that sent me to the mission field, sent our family, Lowe, Lee, others, mission committee, Tom and Thelma Kunis, and others that I can't see your face right now. Uh, I came here as a young Lubbock Christian college student at that time in 1978. I was raised in a good Christian home in Friona, Texas, in a good local church there that shaped me and prepared me. But honestly, from 1978 to 2010, when God called us to work with Mission Resource Network, I grew up spiritually here. You helped to shape me. 
Uh, remember, Bill and I were freshmen together at Lubbock Christian. Most of you know that. But uh, I remember we were taught this Bible study of sharing the kindness of Jesus with others. First time I ever had been taught a study that I could actually share the gospel with someone. I think I call it the redemption study. I think Bill calls it the blood study. And I remember learning that and writing in my Bible all of the scriptures, all of the questions, all of the transitions. And I had a, an acquaintance out at Lubbock Christian that I, I didn't believe the way that he talked, that he believed in Jesus. So I was emboldened, uh, and I wasn't emboldened by my own. I was emboldened by this church and the teachers at this church and the elders who were training me to speak the gospel. And I sat down with him, went through the Bible study, and he just had this look on his face and he said, I need to be baptized right now. Let's go. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is my first time doing this. Uh, don't we need to talk a little bit more? Do you understand this and understand that? And I picked up a phone. I had to go to a phone back then and called the building here. And I was praying, please let somebody be there. Please let Richard Rogers be there. Please let Bill Yasko, please let somebody be there. And Bill Yasko, after hours, answered the phone. And he said, Bill, I, I said, Bill, I need your help because I use this redemption study. He's ready to be baptized, and I want to make sure he knows what he needs to know. He said, bring him on up. I said, and I kind of whispered in the phone, make sure you talk to him first. I don't want to make a mistake. And he sat down and talked to them, and he was baptized here. And that sent me on a journey of learning how to share the kindness of God with people all over the globe. I learned that here. Without sunset, I wouldn't be where I am. I remember uh, seeing uh, Richard Lane Walker as I would preach up here to the right. That's where they would always sit. They've gone to be with the Lord. But I knew Richard Walker to be a man of prayer. And I went to him one day and I just said, teach me how to pray. Just like John, uh, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. I sat at the feet of Richard Walker as he shared in his gentle, kind way about how he walked with God through prayer. Uh, I sat through many an all-night prayer session. I couldn't believe that at sunset, when they said we were having an all-night prayer session, they really meant all night. And I remember coming in this back door, and the auditorium was fairly new, sat back there and experienced my first all-night prayer session. I loved what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do through you as followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to live in your kindness. The kindness that Jesus has shown to us as he walked on this earth. Father, 
Help us to live in that kindness and to share it with others. Would you guide us now as we study your word briefly to remind ourselves that you have given us a great honor to join with you in your desire to see everyone come to know you, bow their knee to you before you, and to be welcomed into your grace and into your mercy and into your truth. Use this time for your glory. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. I'm encouraged by your new vision statement, I believe. Uh, Seeking to be a place where everyone can connect with the kindness of Jesus, the strength of Christian community, and the purpose of doing good. I invite you to turn with me to Titus chapter 3. The book of Titus, I wish we had more time, probably is one of the, the shortest but the greatest book on the grace of God. The grace of God has appeared before us. I once heard a... a, a story about another person uh, from your past, Ted Kell, who was a great preacher and a song leader and would often work with, with Richard Rogers and they would just quote scripture back and forth in classes. And I can remember the story being told that he was at a local congregation somewhere in this area and teaching about the grace of God and somebody stood up And said, Brother Kell, I don't think you know a thing about the grace of God. And those of you who knew way back Ted Kell with his grace and his love and his demeanor just simply started quoting the book of Titus. And quoted the whole book of Titus. Uh, And the key verse here that I want to draw your attention to is Titus chapter 3. There was a time, there was a time when we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passion and pleasure. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the tenderness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done. See, that's what I grew up believing. And it's not that I was specifically taught that. I was taught grace. But somehow around me, I picked up this feeling that I had to earn this some way. I had to be righteous. But here it says, He saved us not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. Verse 3 and 4, the greatest shortest, powerful statement of the good news message of the kindness of Jesus. You see this word that is translated kindness in some of your versions, oftentimes is preceded by loving kindness. That's the way I quoted it. And this word, Christos, so Christos, I always pronounce Greek words with a Spanish accent. I don't know why. It means useful. It means kind. It means gracious. It means good and morally 
good. It's only used seven times in the New Testament, but in Romans chapter 4, 2, verse 4, it says, God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God, His love for us, His grace that leads us to repentance. We're encouraged to follow the example of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, that be kind and compassionate to one another. And forgiving one another, just as Christ in God, or just as in Christ God forgave you. See, this clothing ourselves with the kindness of Jesus. I think one of the most significant New Testament passages you can find about the kindness of Jesus is in Matthew chapter 11, uh, verses 28 through 30. You know it well. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden or burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For Jesus says, I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How do you feel when you hear that phrase? I am gentle. And humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Uh, We need that rest in this world of confusion and doubt and conflict and division and strife and craziness, chaos around the globe. That is found in Jesus Christ. And he ends that with, for my yoke is easy. And the word there for easy is Christos, kindness. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Kindness is not niceness. There's a nicety kindness that we often talk about, very sugary. We don't speak truth to one another. We don't offend one another. That's not the kindness that Jesus Christ modeled. Jesus was very bold walking into the temple and casting out those money changers. He was very bold to speak truth to people. So where do we see this true kindness? This true, and I think a better translation in some of these passages would be tenderheartedness. Sherry and I walked in the building, started seeing people, and you made us very tenderhearted. Flood of memory. Flood of emotions, flood of the love and the kindness of Jesus Christ that we experienced here. So where do we see kindness coming from Jesus? I want to draw you to two passages very quickly in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. Jesus came upon a leper, a terrible skin disease. And a leper during those days would not really be allowed to be out in public. They would have to be outside of the towns. And they would usually wear a sign that says unclean. And they would have to cover their mouth with their hand like that and yell unclean, unclean. And people would scatter. You know some people. That when they walk into a room, they don't have a sign. 
They're not yelling, but they're treated unclean, aren't they? They walk in and people get quiet. And you may be one of those who feels that way. As you walk into a room, you're not treated like everyone else. And here is the kindness of Jesus Christ made manifest. In the flesh, incarnate Jesus Christ, ask the leper, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, if you're willing, make me clean. If you're willing. Jesus could have done it with a statement. He could have done it with a wave of a hand. But he cleansed them with a touch. When's the last time that leper had been touched? And how did he feel with that just the simple touch? But then also the power that came from Jesus to transform him and make him clean. There's some people that they may not be saying it, but because of how society treats them, because of how their life has been, because of all kinds of things, they may come into a place like this. And you may be here today feeling this. I don't belong here. If people knew what I did, if people only knew what I did, they wouldn't accept me. I've got to dress nice. I've got to look nice. I've got to be nice. I've got to do that because inside I am so unclean and filthy. But Jesus didn't make that leper feel that way. He made him feel clean with a touch. The main passage I want to take you to is John chapter 4. And I know some of you were here, uh, were with me over at the Family Life Center when uh, I was given the task of talking about the Samaritan woman. But I guess I just spent too much time with her to only take 14 minutes and uh, that I was given on uh, Wednesday night. And I know, Bill, I took 20 and I apologize. But go to John chapter 4 with me. It says that Jesus had to go to Samaria. He had to go. John chapter 4, down around verse 1. He didn't want to get into this baptism controversy that was going on with John the Baptist and his disciples. So he decided to leave Judea and go up to Galilee north. And it said he had to go to Samaria, which was in between. But he didn't have to go. Because most Jews would go to the east of the Jordan and purposely take twice as long to get to Galilee because the Samaritans were so unclean. They were half-breeds. They were even worshipped God on a different place in a different mountain in a different way. So to a pure Jew, I cannot fellowship with them so much so that I will take three hours extra way to get to where I'm going because I don't want to be with them or touch them or eat from their utensils or drink from their water. They are completely unclean. And these were Jews who believed in God, 
a merciful, compassionate, loving God as presented. So Jesus enters into a conversation with this woman. And she was coming to the well at a, at a very strange time, knowing that she wouldn't meet anybody else there. Because I'm assuming if she went where the other ladies would go at the time, the well and the time that they would go, you know, how we get together in watering holes and we talk and we share, she didn't want to do that because they knew that she was unclean. They knew that her past was so checkered that the whole village, the whole town of Sychar, turn their back on her as she walked by but Jesus sitting there alone she came up started drawing water and Jesus asked will you give me a drink her response is who are you Aren't you a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and I am a Samaritan woman? So he's breaking all of these conventional cultural standards that we use to be religious, to be right, to be just. And it says, you are a man, you are a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan, and you're asking me for a drink? And there's a series of questions there where Jesus began to talk about living water. And she was still thinking physically, well, where can I give this running water, this living water? And finally comes down to a question. He said, if you knew who it is that's asking you this question, you would ask me for living water that I could give you that you would never thirst again. Well, show me where that water is because I don't want to have to keep coming out to here and get water. I want water that will last forever. Well, he was talking spiritually about living water coming from God. So Jesus got a little bit more personal. He said, give me this living water. And he said, go call your husband and bring him here and come back and I'll give it to you. You can imagine her eyes went down and says, I have no husband. Yeah, Jesus knowing her says, you've had five. And the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. Can you imagine the shame? Can you imagine just the air being knocked out of her? Who is this man? And Jesus calls her and says, I will give you living water and forgiveness. They, she wants to kind of change the subject and get into this uh, religious controversy of where do we worship? And the woman finally said, well, all these uh, questions about where we worship on this rise or that rise... I'm sure that the Messiah will tell us the truth when he comes. And Jesus says, I am. I am the one you speak about. And I am the one speaking to you. 
I can't even begin to imagine what went on in her heart and her life. And she went running back into the city. And this is what shocks me. She went into this city that knew all of her sins. And she says, could this be the Messiah? Come and see this man because he told me everything that I've ever done. And I can imagine the people looking at her saying, he told you everything? I know everything you've done and how sinful you are and how terrible you are. But what Jesus comes and brings blessing, living water, and forgiveness. And no longer was her statement of, he taught me, he told me everything that I've done. No longer was it shameful to her. I can imagine she was smiling because it doesn't matter. I did it. It's that way. I was shamed. I was sinful. But through the living water of Jesus, I've been given standing in his kingdom. We work with some missionaries in uh, what we call the Med Rim. It's in southern Europe and North Africa. And you know that there is a movement of Muslim believers or Muslim uh, Islamic people that are fleeing from, uh, from Iraq, Iran, Syria, Afghanistan, and they've been doing it for years. And so we have sent missionaries there to share the kindness of Jesus because you can't go up and just start talking about Isa with them. That's their name for Christ. But what you do is what Phil and Rebecca Jackson, my friends, did with a Syrian, or an Iraqi, I think. Uh, Daoud is his name. Daoud. He's an Iraqi. He was an escaped refugee. He lost his fiancée and an unborn child to a family honor killing. They were killed because... They had broken the law. He had a bounty on his head that had actually followed him to Greece and later on to uh, Western Europe. Uh, he had applied several times for asylum and been rejected. He was waiting. He was overwhelmed and he felt lost and powerless. He quickly accepted the fact that Isa, Jesus, was a savior. But he didn't know all that that meant. And so he went on into Western Europe. I don't know what country in Western Europe. And my friend Phil from lives in Athens kept in touch with him. And one day he got a call from Daoud. And he said, brother, let's do this thing. And he was actually standing in a river in Western Europe saying, I've come to believe that Jesus is the only one that can give me life. And I'm standing here with a friend, and I want you on the phone as I am baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, into Christ to live this new Christ-like world. You see, kindness 
a message of kindness and of grace and of love and of hearing people and listening to people is the way that these brothers and sisters now that we have in the faith came to Christ because someone sat down and listened to them showing them Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are this morning. I know where you're physically at, but I don't know where you are in your walk with God. And you might just need prayers. And there's going to be elders up here that will pray with you and and give strength and show you the kindness of Jesus. But you may be the one who is like Dao, who is searching and doesn't understand about Jesus. Now is the day to receive the kindness of Jesus Christ and live in his presence and his life forever and ever. Let's stand and let's sing.